Uh, happy Easter tide. Uh, we're in the fourth week of Easter in the West. I think Daryl would have us remember that this is the first week of Easter for the Orthodox Church, right, Daryl? Thumbs up. Yep. So happy Easter, wherever you find yourself in the Easter season. It's Marina's Easter, right, Marina? Happy Easter, Marina. We see you. Uh, I went with a few friends last month to the Collin County Jail to protest the death of Marvin Scott III. Uh, Marvin was a 26-year-old black man with mental health challenges. He was arrested in the midst of a mental health episode, and he died while being restrained in custody in mid-March. Every night since then, his family and friends have shown up at 9 p.m. at the Collin County Jail to demand the arrest of seven officers who were involved in his death. A few of us were invited to go by a friend who knows the family, and so we joined, and we planned to make signs and to uh, write Marvin's name in solo cups on the temporary fencing that the sheriff's office had put up to keep the protesters away from the jail building. Uh, and as we stood in the parking lot waiting for the family members to arrive, uh, who were leading this protest and demonstration, one of my friends passed out a permanent marker and instructed us to write the phone number of an attorney on our arms in case we were arrested. Another friend joked, what exactly do we think is going to happen tonight? I felt this shot of adrenaline rush through me at the prospect of getting arrested. If we were going to get arrested, this seemed like a good reason. Um, at the same time, it cut against the grain of much of what I've been taught as a white Christian American to respect the law, to trust the authorities, and all will go well with you. But often it doesn't go well, as our black neighbors can attest. I've come to believe that nonviolent protest and demonstration is a form of Christian witness. Christian witness inevitably includes resistance to the powers of sin and death at work in our world. Honestly, I'm pretty late to the party. I think 2016 was the first time I ever protested, which just reveals my insulation from injustice. Uh, several of us went to the DFW airport um, with our kiddos to show support for our friends in the Muslim community and our opposition to uh, Trump's travel ban, which targeted predominantly Muslim countries. Uh, our brothers and sisters in the black church have been practicing this form of Christian witness for a long time, from the Hush Harbor resistance gatherings of the colonial South to the nonviolent demonstrations in the civil rights movements. Uh, our black brothers and sisters have long been getting into what the late John Lewis calls good trouble. Barbara Holmes, in her book about the contemplative practices of the black church, describes how in the civil rights movement, prayer and preaching were the sustaining practices and preparation for protest and resistance. The black church would center itself in its story and its God and then stream out 
uh, moments after stream out into the streets for nonviolent protest, oftentimes facing arrest and violence themselves. Holm asks, how else would they sustain a nonviolent presence in the face of such opposition were it not for their prayer and their preaching? Where did our black brothers and sisters find imagination for such resistance against the powers? From Jesus and his earliest followers, of course. Jesus is resistor of the powers par excellence. And in our text today, this story from Acts, we see Peter and John resisting those same powers, preaching about resurrection and how those in power not only missed the Messiah, they murdered him. Their message was so subversive and disturbing to those in power that they're arrested for it. Willie James Jennings describes Acts 4 as the emergence of the criminal disciple and says that the Christians in the modern West have struggled to grasp our our connection to the criminal mind, which is our mind, because the mind of Christ inevitably brings us at times into opposition with those in power. Jennings says, real preaching and authentic teaching is inextricably bound to real criminality. Did anybody learn that in Sunday school? I did I did not learn that in Sunday school. I'm curious about your own experiences with practicing resistance as Christian witness. What are you learning? What is challenging to you about this idea of resistance? How does this practice make you feel? Leave a note in the chat. I'd love to hear your perspective. I'm curious about your own experiences with practicing resistance as Christian witness. What are you learning? What is challenging to you about the practice? How does this practice make you feel? I'll say for me, it's a um, it's a new experience being involved in resistance because as a believer, I just thought that that was something that happened in the '60s, you know, mm-hmm. and um, maybe the day for that, you know, isn't necessary. That the way we get involved now is is just different, you know. It's it's just meeting people's needs. It's um, those we support those who are in office of um uh political office um th- those are the ways that we get involved now and so um but it's been 
it's been rewarding to be a part of resistance in today. And I think I feel closer to um, people of other nationalities, other ethnicities, um, because when you're out there and you're with people who look different for you, but we are all walking together in solidarity, it feels empowering. I feel more united when I'm out there and I see we all care, not just about the black and white issue, but equity in our nation as a whole, you know, to walk next to a Muslim American, to walk next to an Asian American, and we're all marching together because this is important to all of us. That is nothing like that. But it's also, is still very interesting because I just had a conversation a, a week ago with um, a sister in Christ who's, who's African-American. And she's just like, I don't see the point in protesting. I don't see the point in going out there. And she's a lawyer and she's just used to being, you know, just litigating that it just comes down to law and it comes down to Jesus. Just preach Jesus, make disciples and everything will fix itself. And so it's just interesting, you know, cause I probably would have said the same thing about a year and a half ago, <laughs> you know? And so it's interesting just being, being here and feeling like, no, I need to do more than just pray and make disciples. I personally need to do more than that. But at the same time, being gracious to brothers and sisters who don't feel that way. Mm. Thank you, Markeela. I hear you. A couple of things that grab my attention, what you're saying. One is um, that uh, resistance can take many different shapes and that there, uh, so there are different ways that we uh, resist and practice resistance. And there, there is a diversity of perspective on, um, what that looks like, even if we should do it or should not do it. Um, uh, you capture that for me. Thank you. Uh, Ryan Walker. Hey, um, I think like I resonate a lot with what you said, Charles, and, and I appreciate Markila's words too. I guess like to, to answer the question, like what your own experiences are, like I, you know, it's like, it's enlightening. Like when you participate, it's enlightening. Um, it's like just really informative. Um, and at the same time, it's also really humbling. Um, right. Like in, in, the, in like the best possible way. Um, it's like humbling you. Um, and then I'll, but then at the same time, I think like in, in the old days, like when I would have looked at an activist, I would have thought like, oh, they're so jaded or cynical, but like now having protested at times now, like I can see it's like, there's like inherent hopefulness in it. It's not about the cynicism. Um, it's about a desire for change and a belief that change is possible. And that's something that I think I missed out on for a long time. Mm. Thank you, Ryan. Mm. Resistance as a, an act of hope. I like that. Sarah Holland. Oh, you snuck in just at the end there. 
Um, I would say I'm, uh, I mean, similar to, to what you said, Charles, it's not something that it's been a part of, part of my life, uh, or part of things that I would think of as something that I should do until the last few years. And, um, I, uh, I really like what Ryan said about it being, um, uh, a call to hope because I think, you know, what we've seen even kind of, uh, across the history in this country is that, that protesting leads to change. And, uh, and so it's, it's really interesting to be, um, to be in that, to, to walk, to walk those streets with people and, and, um, uh, yeah, just, yeah, echoing kind of stuff, the same stuff everybody said, but mm. thought you'd like to hear one more person say, affirm what you'd said already. So. <laughs> Oh yeah, love it. love <laughs> when especially you, Sarah, when you agree. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, but thank you. It does it helps to hear um even similar perspectives from different vantage points and different voices. Um Ryan Walker, maybe? Was there sorry, it, it's it's me, Sarah. Sorry. Oh, Sarah. Okay. Surprise. We're we're packing and listening. Um, no, my thought is just, I love, I don't love, I think there's something very special about having your feet on the ground in a place with other people. Uh, and I think we can all sort of relate to that as we've had this year and we all talk about how it's just not the same on zoom. Well, social activism just isn't the same, um, sitting at your computer at your house. Um, there are. Like anytime I've gone to any type of event, there's always speakers and people sharing our stories. And it's one of the most impactful things to me because I'm like, wow, okay, I didn't know this. And like, they're there sharing knowledge and you don't get that knowledge if you don't go. So like you don't, it's like trying to have dinner with people around a virtual table. It's not the same as sitting at a table with them. So. Yeah, that's good. Thank you, Sarah. On April 20th, last month, just uh, less than a couple weeks ago, a jury found police officer Derek Chauvin guilty of the murder of George Floyd. And I first learned about the verdict from a text thread of friends. One friend expressing deep relief and gratitude about the verdict. I felt that, too. Um, the verdict was a significant moment because it declared... An injustice was unjust, and it declared consequences for that injustice. And that has not often been the case, especially in relations between the black community and uh, police. I also heard from uh, black friends and leaders a measured reaction, celebration at the verdict, but pointing to the verdict uh, as a step toward a more just society, but not the finish line. Some preferring to call it accountability rather than justice. I felt that too. I remember seeing one post in particular from one of my mentors. Uh, in all caps, the only thing in the post, justice, exclamation point. And I found myself wondering, I mean, is it? Isn't there more to justice 
than what's happening in this moment? Isn't there more to justice than a, a punitive response? Isn't there more to justice than putting a guy in a cage for decades? I found myself longing for something else, something more. Uh, Shane Claiborne said something like, justice isn't just a world where police officers are convicted for murdering black men. Justice is a world where police officers don't murder black men. I wonder what Peter thought when he encountered that disabled man by the temple gate. This man who hadn't been able to walk since birth and who'd been at the temple every day asking for alms. When he sees Peter and John, he asks them for alms for an offering to help him in his poverty. Now, I wonder if Peter thought, isn't there something more? Isn't there something else? Alms are good. They're needed. We should give alms to the poor. But isn't there something more? And then he says, I don't have any money, but there's something else. There's something more. In the name of Jesus, get up and walk. And he does. He leaps up and he starts running around the temple grounds to everyone's amazement. This is the event that gets Peter and John arrested. This is the origin of the criminal disciple in Acts. Why? Why does this event stir up such trouble? Perhaps because... It reveals the emptiness of power of the religious establishment, perhaps because it threatens those in power because it expresses a power they did not have, perhaps because it's carried out in the name of Jesus, the person these powers had just murdered and whose resurrection they were terrified of. Don't miss the significance of what happens in this event. This is not just a physical healing This is holistic restoration. This man is not just restored to his body. He is also integrated into his community in a deeper way because his disability had placed him at the margins of his people. And to the extent that this healing occurs by the authority of Jesus, this event is connecting him to Jesus and to God in a way he hadn't previously been connected. Do you know the best word to describe what happens to this disabled man? Salvation. This is the word that Peter uses over and over again when explaining to the rulers how he had the power to do such a thing. This man was saved because of Jesus's power. Peter Peter literally says in verse 9, it's hiding under the translation, but he's saying this man was saved. Salvation is found in no one else but Jesus in verse 12, which refers to what just happened to this man at the gate. There is no other name in this whole human realm except for Jesus by which we are saved. It's pointing to this very holistic act of rescue, physical, social, spiritual. This criminal act of salvation demonstrates another aspect of Christian witness, embodiment. When the kingdom of God appears and is enfleshed In human reality, that's embodiment. When human flourishing occurs, that's embodiment. When folks are made right in their bodies and in their relationships with others and God, that's embodiment. When justice is the air that a community breathes, that is embodiment. Embodiment is the other side of the coin of Christian witness. Embodiment is one side. Resistance is the other. Resistance is an expression of embodiment and embodiment is an expression of resistance, but there's a place of embodiment 
beyond resistance, this place of salvation, the place where all is as it should be, the place where black men and women, indeed all men and women, live in freedom and peace and flourishing. It's the place of the kingdom of God. Brant John took the stand after the trial that found Dallas police officer Amber Geiger guilty of the murder of his brother Botham and sentenced to 10 years in prison. Brant had the opportunity to address Geiger directly, and he began by saying he didn't want to recount again all that Geiger had taken from them. They had done that many times, after all, in the trial. He wanted to say something different in this moment. So he said, I don't want you to rot and die like my brother. I forgive you. I love you as a person, and I hope you will come to Christ because that is what my brother would want. And then he asked the judge if he could hug Amber. He had to ask twice, asking, please, please. And then Brant and Amber embraced in the middle of the courtroom. A friend pointed out to me the look on the constable's face as this happened. He looked puzzled. He was watching Brant's hands embracing Amber. He had been trained, after all, to watch the hands of black bodies. The system didn't have a category for what was happening in that moment. It even treated it with suspicion. Brant's action sparked quite a storm, you might remember, of debate in the social media sphere, particularly about how uh, black or African-American folks are often asked to forgive their oppressors, as often happens in the cycle of abuse. Uh, some white folks use the event to minimize the evil that had happened. See, we should just forgive Geiger. That's the gospel. They let go of the tension of resistance to evil. The same friend who pointed to me the constable's face also pointed me to the response of Brant's sister, Alyssa, to the whole debate. She said, I respect those who disagree with Brant's decision to forgive. I'm not there myself, but I hope to be someday. Brant extended forgiveness for his own sake, she said, to release himself from the hate that might otherwise captivate him. Alyssa, like Brandt, hold this tension of resistance and embodiment. Alyssa's comments led me to wonder if what we saw on that stand in that video was the embodiment of salvation, not by Geiger, but by Brandt, embodying the grace, forgiveness, resistance, restorative justice of the kingdom of God in his own person, Father Forgive her. It's a temptation for uh, white folks, read those with power, to let go of the tension of resistance. It's also a temptation for white folks, read those with power, to approach embodiment as saviors and rescuers. Certainly those aren't the only temptations. And white folks... uh aren't the only one with temptations and resistance embodiment. I feel more comfortable speaking to the temptations of white folks because I am a white folk. Um, but I guess I'm wondering 
How do we participate as a community in this embodiment of salvation in healthy ways? Amidst the temptations to either let go of the tension of resistance or to approach embodiment as saviors and rescuers, how do we participate in this embodiment of salvation in healthy ways? And I will, I know that's a big question and I'm going to, I'm going to put it in the chat so you can see it and chew on it. And if you've got thoughts when you're ready and you'd like to share, I would love to hear. Oh, I didn't put it in the chat. I put it to Daryl. Sorry, Daryl. Thank you. That was a good comment. Daryl commented. Um, well, I hope I, I hope it's okay for me to share that this is that Jesus is setting everything to rights. Yeah, that is that's the embodiment. It's a good language for embodiment. Yes, sir, Daryl. I'm, I can't say a whole lot, you know, uh, because my experiences are still extremely limited. Uh, so I recognize that. I think that's part of it is recognizing our own limitations. Um, but I think part of it too is to avoid speaking for someone else's experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you, you kind of mentioned this about rushing in as saviors. Um, I am not the savior of anybody. I'm not. And for me to constantly stand in and say, well, you know, I'm going to speak for this perspective or on this behalf can become very arrogant. Um, so I, I don't really have a, a total answer because again, I, I feel very limited. Um, I feel uncomfortable in being able to say an awful lot. Um, but uh, I, I think for us, for me, for me, a white person, um, not just a white person, but for me, a person who has never really experienced oppression in any way. I cannot speak for someone who has. Instead, I have to listen. Mm -hmm. And I shouldn't demand that people who have explain it to me either. Mm -hmm. Um, As if they owe that to me. Um, Somehow I need to be doing that digging myself and getting uncomfortable with what I discover. Uh, that's kind of rambling, but uh, stream of consciousness on my part. But that's that's just what's coming to me at this moment. I really appreciate that, Daryl. I think you're right that um, for those of us of European descent with 
um, with light skin, you know, who are, who represent a power structure in our society that we do well to listen, um, to listen deeply. Um, one of the things that that has helped me to pay attention to, I mean, if you looked at the shelves in my office, my books, I would, I would guess 95% of them are written from the social location of power, um, racial power. Um, and you know, it's more complicated than that. It's more layered than that, but realizing that, I mean, I, even, even in the books that I read, trying to read different perspectives than, um, just the ones that I'm, uh, familiar with or that I m- might normally default, uh, too. I think that's really important. And I, I think you're right too. An extension of that, like you're saying is, uh, because we're not in that location, we have to listen. We can't, uh, uh, we can't dare to speak or presume what, what it's like, uh, in the location of oppression. Um, so it requires some humility. Sarah, uh, Sarah Walker, thank you, Daryl, for your comment. Um, <clears throat> for me, after I, I guess, got into, got into protesting and then I got into learning and, you know, we've all been doing that as a community together for a long time. And, uh, this year I've really felt convicted about reparations. And so, um, I don't know if y'all remember when Cecily would talk to us last year and she's going to talk to us again this year, but, uh, she works with Abide and, um, uh, I can't remember if it was there or it was on her website. She said, a lot of people always ask me what they can do to help us. Like she said, all these white ladies want to come down and help us. And they're like, what do you need? And she's like, I tell them we need your money. And I mean, it sounds like I, I think I've always had this block in my mind, like, Oh, well, no, I mean, we can't do that. We have to give it, I don't know, have to some kind of process. But this year I've just been like, yeah, let's just give the money. Like, stop pretending like I earned all this money and like, this is all mine to keep and start acting like it belongs to other people and start giving it to them. And, um, I don't know, it's been, I don't know, it's been really good for my soul, I think, just to have a practical way to, to do something. So I've joined like some reparations Facebook groups and things like that. And anyway. Right on. I love how that, that kind of was motivated or prompted by listening to Cecily. I mean, when, when our, uh, when our friends tell us what they need, rather than saying, well, are you sure? I feel like I, you know, cause my impulse is, well, I, can we have more of a relationship and a, you know, a communal kind of connection? And certainly there's a place for that. But if our friends are telling us we need resources, <laughs> uh, who are we to say, nah, well, I'm not sure about that. Yeah. Daryl, you're, you're raising two fingers. I'm sorry. Can I piggyback off of what, what Sarah just said? Absolutely. Because I think that's something that's really important that we, we come to a recognition of, whether it's money or something else is we need to, what are we doing? Are we doing things to make us feel good? Are we doing things that are needed? Those could be two very different things. If I'm doing this just to make me feel good about myself, 
oh, I did something. That's a problem. You know, it's what, and what Sarah mentioned, you know, you know, I'd rather get out there and, and do something with my hands or, or be seen. And they're going, no, we just need money. That's what's needed. So am I doing it for me or am I doing it for them? Mm-hmm. You know, our, our friend in neighborhood se- seminary, um, the Reverend Sana Key, uh, who's an African American pastor in Illinois, um, when, when asked, um, what's, what she, she made the distinction of, uh, taking space versus, uh, making space. So as, as, uh, as white folks, the temp, we can have a temptation to take up space. One way we can have a temptation to take up space, um, is to, um, <laughs> uh, to do stuff that makes us, to do stuff that makes us feel good, essentially, like what you're saying, Daryl. Um, and that the difference, um, to, to make space is to listen to what's needed and, um, and to be willing to step out of the limelight and, uh, to not let the left hand know what the right hand is doing. That's a part of being a genuine ally. Um, that's a that's a really good word. You know, I think emerging for me in all of these comments so far, uh, I think it's really important for us, those of us who are European descent, white folk, we have to follow the lead of our brothers and sisters of color and and our brothers and sisters who find themselves in a different social location than us. We have to follow their lead. I think that's part of what it means for us to practice this embodiment. We have to listen to their voices. We have to participate in the way that they say uh, is helpful. And that's really hard. Uh, that's really hard for um, those of us who are uh, gifted to lead uh, maybe leading looks like following the lead of our uh, our brothers and sisters uh, of color. I think that's really important. Any other comments out there as we wrap up? Well, can we hear the good news today? that Jesus is resisting evil in our world and bringing salvation? Can we receive the invitation to join Jesus in his resistance and also in receiving and embodying Jesus's salvation? Let all of us with ears hear. Let all of us with hands receive. Amen.